Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am super stoked to be talking to Sukinder Singh Cassidy. Sukinder is a leading technology executive and entrepreneur, board member, and investor with 25 years of experience founding and helping to scale companies, including Google, Amazon, and Yodley. Most recently, though, she served as president of StubHub, which sold in 2020 for four billion dollars right before the pandemic and thrived under her leadership. She's the founder and chairman of the board list, which connects exceptional diverse candidates with global board opportunities. And she's been named one of Elle's power women, one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company, and one of the top 100 people in the Valley by Business Insider. So Kinder's first mainstream leadership book, Choose Possibility, which is already a Wall Street Journal bestseller, tackles the big idea that risk-taking is a skill everyone can learn to accelerate their growth. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation. I can't wait to get into it. But first, really quickly, if you're listening to this right now and you are a podcaster and you want to interview 
awesome guests like Sukinder, then uh, head over to guestio.com. It's the marketplace my team and I built recently to connect you with interviews and guests that you actually really want to have conversations with on your show. So guestio.com, head over there and check that out really quickly. Sukinder, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yes, ma'am. So I want to get right into it, build a little bit of context for everybody that's listening as if that intro wasn't enough uh, context as to why they should listen to you. But um, I often find it uh, very interesting how someone like you got to the position that you are currently in, especially a couple of decades ago, there wasn't a big online a push for entrepreneurship and starting companies and becoming business people. You know what I mean? I feel like that's really started to grow in the last couple of decades with Silicon Valley and social media and pushing all that out there. So let's start with kind of how you got into this space to begin with. Take me back, rewind the clock. Let's go 11, 12-year-old Sue Kinder. Set the scene for us. Tell us uh, uh, what was going on for you at that time. Sure. Well, I know you're somebody who appreciates a good story, So the thing you need to know about my scene is I grew up the daughter of two doctors. And you might say like, well, what is particularly entrepreneurial about that? Well, my father in particular, my parents were both doctors, but loved running his small business. Like he loved it. He loved it as much as serving people. And so probably when I was seven or eight, I often say like somewhere around there, my dad had us all working on his taxes. Like when I say he was teaching us to do his books, I mean, literally he left all of his books to tax time. He had no accountant. So like come, you know, March 1st and, you know, tax deadline in Canada, I think is April 15th. He literally would like pull out all of his checks from the whole year, all his checkbooks, and we would enter into his ledger. So he trained the entire family to do this. So me and my three sisters were like typing on a manual calculator, entering in the ledger by hand. So I'm learning entrepreneurship because I'm learning how to do my dad's books, like no, no joke. And so I will say to people like, look, my view of entrepreneurship is not like, it's pretty gritty, right? It's not like this lofty idea that you like have the world's biggest business idea and right. you come to Silicon Valley and you get $10 million. It's more like my father really loves running his business. And it's about like, you know, making the expenses and the, and the revenues, you know, in balance. It's about entering kind of these day-to-day numbers in your checkbook and understanding how much he pays for a secretary. By the way, it's also about, you know, deciding you're going to, you know, take out a huge mortgage because you have this dream of building a walk-in clinic, which he did, you know, 10, 20 years before walk-in clinics became a big thing. So I just saw entrepreneurship was this like very minuscule thing, like, you know, entering (laughs) items into a ledger. And it was also as big as dreaming about, you know, as I said, like hosting a place where people could walk in without an appointment and get medical service, which he was one of the first to do in our small town. So that's, that's Sue Kinder at 10 or 11, doing her dad's taxes. The only place he wants her to work is in his office, is his receptionist. I didn't have my first outside job until I was, I think my first year of college, but really I always say people possibility was very possible for me, but also in like very small incremental act. Did your parents kind of push you in a certain direction growing up? Cause obviously Mm -hmm. like this seems like a, you know, almost a dichotomy where you have the influence of they're both doctors and they both went to school for a long time, paid a lot of money to get their degrees and they have successful careers. But then they're also now like, oh, this entrepreneurship thing might provide me a little bit more freedom. It allows me to work on the things that I actually am more passionate about. It gives me these other potential tools and opportunities. Did they kind of push you in a certain direction or they were, were they very much like, hey, we want you to figure out what's best for you? Well, the irony, of course, is remember, they're also immigrants to Canada who both grew up in fairly poor households where education is valued. So like, look, the number one thing you learn if you're an immigrant kid from two Indian parents who are doctors is 
you ought to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And, yeah. um, and that was probably my mom. She wanted me to have a very safe and stable career. And then my dad loved the pursuit of ideas and entrepreneurship. He loved stock picking. Mm. So I would say what he told me was to work for myself. Um, and so I guess in some ways he did tell me to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and he definitely encouraged every business ambition I had, even when I didn't quite know what they were. So, <laughs> um, so I think he was a pursuer of possibility wrapped up in a doctor, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah that, make, that, that, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, where, where are your parents now? What are they up to? Well, my father unfortunately passed away um, oh, no. almost, well, gosh, over 20 years ago, which is hard to believe. Wow. My mom, who, although she was more conservative than my dad, was nonetheless, you know, bucked the trend of her time because she got married late and became a doctor first. So like was a working woman of her generation, which wasn't um, as popular. My mom is 91, uh, still uh, strong and healthy and crazily. Wow. She didn't retire from medicine until she was in her mid eighties. No way. Wow. Without how much my, for my parents, their work and their vocation were, and they're like, we're the same thing. No yeah. kidding. I was going to say, you definitely got some really strong work ethic values instilled <laughs> in you. Like doctors already work crazy hours. Entrepreneurs work crazy hours. So your dad being a doctor and a small business owner is like, 120 hours a week and stuff like that. And, uh, and so it made sense why he had you guys working on stuff. Cause he didn't he have any more time. time I, yeah. I look at my mom and I'm like, wow, like she didn't retire till she was in her mid eighties. And that's like, that's crazy as well. And hindsight right. about that, but that's um, awesome though. Okay. So it sounds, so, so you had at least some, some really strong work ethic values and things like that growing yeah. up. What influenced your decision for schooling? Where, where did you end up going to school and, and why did you choose that? And what, you know, what was your major things like that? Well, interestingly, like I said, you, you hit the dichotomy nail on the head because on the one hand, I grew up in a pretty conservative family, but my daughter, my dad loves entrepreneurship. I looked at literally being a movie producer. Our TV had, uh, our school had a TV studio. So I love producing movies. Um, I looked at um, getting an undergrad business degree and I looked at being a journalist. And I actually forewent the creative endeavors, both movie producing and journalism, because my mom said, gosh, are those really like staple careers? So ironically, I picked like business because it was the least risky choice. <laughs> which, uh, ironic, and I went on to be an entrepreneur. I was like, hey, right. was the most risky choice, mom? Right. I'm not really sure, but I understand. Because <laughs> this <laughs> seems like a massive risk that I'm about exactly, to take. Exactly, yeah. right? I'm like, what? Um, so maybe <laughs> that doesn't make sense when you tell the story in hindsight. So you ended up majoring in business then? Yeah, I ended up majoring in business. I go to a uh, Canadian uh, university called Western. I'm Canadian, if you can't tell. And uh, they have an undergraduate business program that you apply to after year two that's like world-class. And so okay. I ended up getting into that school and uh, graduating with uh, uh, undergraduate business degree. And then you just had job offer after job offer? Oh, I had the opposite. <laughs> My friend, I had the opposite. I always tell people like... Uh, if the way I rolled out of college, I it was any indication, like there's hope for everybody. I mean, I, like many people was an overachiever in high school. So when I got to college, you know, I did relatively speaking, okay in business school, but there were a lot of overachievers. So they were all like top of the class and I was squarely yeah. in the middle. Um, but more importantly, in my final year of graduation, I went off to Europe to study abroad and they all studiously stayed at home and got awesome job offers. So I got back from studying abroad and in my last semester of school, I had no offer. I was scrambling. I was freaked out. Um, everybody had not just great, good job offers, but great ones, investment banking, consulting. So no, it took me a full year to get a job after I graduated. 
and I had so many shots on goal, you would not imagine. Um, <laughs> I felt like crap about myself, but it taught me a lot about taking risks. I'll tell you that much. And uh, it definitely was my first, um, yeah, my first real hardship. So I did not have job after job offer after job offer. That was the first, it was the exact opposite. In fact, yeah, I say that somewhat facetiously because yeah. that seems to be a trend with the majority of really successful people that I talk to. Is that? Oh, is it? That's good. <laughs> yeah, you. Like it was harder than they thought. Yeah, it was just in entrepreneurship anyway. You know, because because some people a lot of times if they do get that great job offer, they continue getting jobs yes. and they just stay in the corporate world and they're and that and that's okay. That's a totally. A totally fine path. Um, but a lot of entrepreneurs that we talk to, there's usually something like that that happened where you, you, you seemed like you were following the rules, you know, like I did, like I'm checking the boxes, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting good grades. I'm going to a good college. I'm studying, I'm going abroad. I'm I'm doing all the things that I think I should be doing and I'm not getting the results that I think I should be getting. And there's usually met with two different mindsets at that point. One, this isn't fair. And uh, I'm going to blame it on everybody else and adopt this victim mentality. Or there's, I clearly did something incorrectly along the journey. Let me go back, back, figure that out and persist forward and make sure that I control my own, my own destiny, take responsibility for my life. And it seems like you chose the latter. Yeah. You know, I think, well, I think um, I ended up going into a corporate path before I became an entrepreneur, which I did in my late twenties. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the thing you're hitting on, and maybe this is what you were alluding to is, you know, sometimes entrepreneurship becomes like out of necessity and out of like the thing that didn't work out that taught you something. And I would say, look, what I learned that first year was hustle, hustle and risk-taking. Like, and you know, people are like, oh, risk-taking must be big. I'm like, no, risk-taking is like putting bait out in the water constantly to sort of create your own possibilities. Uh, and so, yeah, maybe that's what, maybe that's where my um, other muscle got built, which was just hustle and, you know, and needing to always be looking for the next possibility. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, how was that experience in the corporate world? Um, the corporate experience was good. Cause look, by the time I finally got that job that I talked about, it was my dream job. I got a job on wall street. It just took me a lot longer than everyone else. Yeah. And you know, by the time I got there, like I was the opposite of entitled. Like I was like, Holy crap, I got it. Now all I want to do is prove that I'm meant to be here. So yeah. the corporate path was good until it wasn't. Um, it was good in the sense that I succeeded. I had great bosses. I got promoted. I got sent abroad. I ended up at a media company after that. And again, I was promoted, but I would say what wasn't good about it is like, I was very restless. Uh, you know, I was like, wow, I think by my mid twenties, even though I was doing well in the corporate world, I kind of was back to my dad's lessons. I was like, I kind of want to work for myself. Like, I don't Mm. know how. Yeah. And so I, although I was doing well, I quit my job and moved to Silicon Valley because I wanted to start a company, but I didn't know how. And so I thought California had great weather compared to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I, um, uh, and I really was like, if I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to be this thing. Maybe if I move where people are entrepreneurial, I will figure it out. And that is a perfect segue to talking <laughs> into relationship building and networking, because uh, what I've, what I've found over, over doing the show is that Typically, everybody agrees that your environment shapes you. Yeah. It's yeah. undeniable, right? Like you are a product of the, the people you hang around and the media, movies, influences, things that you consume. You're a product mm-hmm. of those things. But what I have a harder time convincing people about is that you are the one who shapes your environment. Mm-hmm. And if your environment shapes you, then ultimately you shape you. You decide what environment is allowed to shape you. And so to your point, 
um, you know, when, when you wanted to make a, a change in your life and a pivot and head into a different direction after getting clarity through the, the, the hard work that you put in over the decade or so of it being in, in the corporate world, you, instead of just hoping that something would come across your desk at some point, you picked up, moved to a completely different space in a brand new world where you didn't, you know, have all these other previous connections and a, and a, and a well-known name and all this other stuff. You just picked up, moved and said, that's the version that, of myself that I want to become. Correct. And I think that that environment is probably best suited to get me to become that version. Yes. Yes. Right. So by the way, I think your point about shifting environments and we have the ability to shift our environment is an under-recognized point that often we think that we have to stay where we are and any movement must be bad when moving towards environments that, um, first of all, offer us many chances to fail and succeed is a big one. I always say to people like, I get too much credit for my career. Moving Silicon Valley in 1997 is probably, you know, in hindsight, you know, riding one of the biggest tailwinds one could ride in business, right? The growth of the internet itself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I can't take credit for that. I mean, but I, but I guess to your point, ending up or, you know, deciding to pursue an environment where I thought it was possible had even unbeknownst to me tremendous upside. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You placed yourself or were willing to place yourself in an opportunity rich environment. Yes. And yeah. you know, if you if you have more opportunities, you have more at bats, you're more likely to hit a home run, you know, and yeah, in, absolutely. In, in event and I think that's what people get wrong a lot is in risk taking in entrepreneurship. And you can speak into this obviously because it's what your book is about that I really love to highlight, is that they'll take one risk or mm-hmm. or two risks and and they'll and they'll and they'll you and know they'll rear up <laughs> and 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 just swing that bat as hard as they can and then they don't connect and they're like well I'm done they throw the bat over and go back into the dugout and go back to doing what they were doing before 
And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of like, Hey, that person just was willing to take more swings than you were. Like if, if, if we're both the same equal skill level at hitting a baseball mm-hmm. and you go take five at bats and I go take 500 at bats, which one of us is more likely to hit a home run? You know what I mean? Oh like if, well, this is the whole thesis of the book, by the way, if you're willing to choose, if you only want to choose once, forget about it. If you're willing to embrace choosing possibility as a process, you will have an outsized returns. So you're hitting the it, the core thesis, unbeknownst to you, or maybe beknownst to you because you're so freaking smart, of the book, which is which is that. And I think I suspect you're going to head next to what is an opportunity rich environment, and what I, will factor into that. But yeah, yeah, so I was I was gonna I was gonna ask that. So let, let's let's talk about that then. How do you how do you how do you put yourself in those environments and how do you, you know, define that for yourself? Yeah. Well, I think, look, I think, uh, I will say to people like to be a smart risk taker is to put yourself in environments where you're more likely to succeed. First of all, to your point, you need to take multiple at bats. Totally true. But you know, in any given at bat, you want to maximize if your environment can help you. And so first of all, we talk about the macro environment. You talked about this, like industry company, like, you know, segment of a business you're joining, like the what that you're joining, right? Like, so the what that you're joining is like, forget about whether you're passionate about it or not for just a moment, just like, are its characteristics that it's on the rise, that it's growing, that it has momentum behind it, that momentum will carry you, you know, in even in your own like micro job in that company or industry or segment. But the second, and I think the far bigger issue and opportunity is opportunity-rich environments when it comes to the who. Because to your point, you could pick the most boring industry, the most boring segment, the most boring company, and still find opportunity if you put yourself with what I call super bosses. You know, people who have an outsized chance of developing your talent, um, helping you learn faster, and are also our talent and opportunity magnets. Mm. And often we think to your point, like we know, need to know exactly what we want to do. And I'm like, well, maybe what you should be pursuing is not the what you want to do, but the who you want to work with. Yeah. Because those people give you disproportionate opportunity to learn and have impact. Uh, yeah. Speaking my language here. I, so transparency, I've never had a nine to five in my life. But mm-hmm. when I've articulated to people in my life about what would, if anything could ever make me have a job versus being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, yeah, my, the immediate thing that I've told them all the time is like, it depends on who I'm working for. Yep. A hundred percent. Like with. that is Absolutely. the number one contributing factor, like company industry agnostic yes. and none of that really matters. It's do I respect the person that I'm working for and do I see a ton of opportunity in being around them, learning from them, soaking up information, knowledge, being saturated with like their mindset and their presence in the world? And am I okay with being influenced by that person? And that would largely influence my decision whether or not I would ever work for somebody again is, uh, or to begin with is, <laughs> is if, is if that was the case, uh, yeah. because that has to be, it has to be, that has to be the factor, right? It's right. not it about is, what it's like, about. who. So, yeah. It's, 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 it's not the what it's the who. And of course you want the who and the what I understand that I want the who and the what too, but yeah. if you force me to choose, I would choose the who over the what. Um, and then people, I think always ask me that secondary question, which is, well, in the who, what are you looking for? And the problem is like, you know, if you look at the research, there's actually a book called Super Bosses. And so I use the term a super boss, but there actually literally is a book called Super Bosses. And the person who does the research in it, the author really identifies that there's almost no common like personality characteristic among super bosses. Mm. But, you know, I think what they do for us is they accelerate our learnings in ways we don't appreciate. And so this idea that your boss has to be nice or gracious or, you know, I'm like, yeah, some super bosses are great coaches and others are just really great at like 
maybe they're challenging you to fail more often. Maybe they're giving you no structure and you, you know, allow you to figure it out. Maybe they just surround themselves with people who are so talented and are not kind of scared to hire people who are better than them that you wake up every day and you're like, holy crap, to be part of this team, I am just learning by osmosis. All I know about Superbots is just that they're just magnets for opportunity and talent. And yeah, you know, you can't help but learn, even if it's only by osmosis when you're with them. Exactly. I love that last point. A lot of time it is, it is by that. It's like, it's the times where you're not even, you're not even expecting to learn. It's just that, (laughs) wow, I, I, you know, I'm finding myself sitting in this room with these four or five other people that are, you know, in my personal opinion, way smarter than I am doing business Mm -hmm. on a level that I can't even comprehend currently. I'm not saying anything. Um, I might ask a question every once in a while, but for the majority of the time, like I'm just sitting there soaking it up because your input becomes your output, right? Yeah. So if you're getting all this input from people who are this, this smart, their mentality is going to rub off on you. Their mindset's going to rub off on you. Um, their, the, the way that they live their life is going to rub off on you. And that's always going to benefit you in the long run. I'm curious to Kinder, who, what, what do you look for in, in, in a, in a super boss? Well, maybe I can define that by saying, I'll, I'll tell you what the, the common characteristics of the super bosses I've had. Yeah. Um, first of all, they're all very, they're all almost the polar opposite of me. For my dad, who I would consider the superest of super bosses. Even though Sounds I like it. Yeah. yeah, I guess I worked for him once <laughs> or a few times, but, um, <laughs> but also my, you know, my, the, the guys who started the first uh, startup I joined, Jungly. Um, when I think about my boss at Google, a guy named Omid Kordistani. When I think about even honestly, my priest, because I was raised in a fairly religious family um, and I have huge admiration for him. What all those people share in common is they're very different for me and that they are like patient, present, lack a lot of ego, quite frankly, and willing to just like, like let me run. So I think for me, the definition of the super boss was somebody who was very different for me, who taught me off in patience, diplomacy. <laughs> I can't say I took it all, but I like, I, I've seen masters. <laughs> you let it rub off on you a little bit. You yeah. know, people who make people, make others feel like, I would say just special and they feel like they're always present and calm. But for someone like me, they take like they all this excess energy I have, they just let it run off. They're like, Sukinder, just go, you know? And I appreciate that. Like, I don't think I've ever had a boss who's trying to be in competition with me. Mm. They just wanted to like, let me loose. And that's what me in particular, that's what I needed. So I would say to people like, look for people who are, have diverse strengths to your own, right? Mm. And then the second most important characteristic for super bosses, I think if we want to sort of be in an environment where we do our best work, is super bosses to share some level of our values. And people are like, well, how do you even know that? But I'm like, again, they can come in all different packages, but I'm attracted to people who, as an example, um, are super authentic. Like I really kind of, I value that, you know? So um, I try to be that kind of a leader myself. So I've been around people who I think are like, what you say is what you do. What you do is what you mean. Um, They've never been passive aggressive. Like they just value transparency. I've been with people who are hugely empathetic. And, you know, uh, although I don't know how people would rate me on the empathy scale, I think most people who I've worked with think like I, I will bleed to make them successful or to make the company successful. Maybe not each individual person, but like as a whole, I will make sure that I'm there for them. So I value empathy and I've had really empathetic bosses. So I just see these things now in my bosses that allowed me to do my best work because I both felt safe. I felt like we had kind of a shared worldview, yet they were so different from me um, in their styles. How was your experience with relationships, both with your bosses and then when you were their boss over at, uh, at StubHub? So my relationship with my boss at StubHub was pretty good. It was the CEO of eBay. 
And uh, it was good. First of all, it was good because I just had one boss. Like when you're running a company, I'm like, uh, I don't want to check with 10 people. I just want to check with one because I'm like having fun running the show. eBay, yeah. was, um, eBay was the parent company to StubHub, but we were a division. So I really wanted a lot of autonomy. So I had a single boss and that was great. Just the CEO of eBay. Good in that, as I said, like many others, he let me run. He was just like, you know, and tapped into my own entrepreneurial spirit. And obviously you want to get, when you're seeking your own fit, right? And the who and the what of your own fit, I want to go to places where my skills are needed and valued. So mm-hmm. I've needed a shot of entrepreneurial energy. I mean, you know, and a reimagining of what it might be next and maybe some grit because it had been owned by eBay for 10 years. And I think mm-hmm. that, and sort of had some slowness in the culture. And I think eBay saw that. And so I think they wanted a leader who had those characteristics. So Devin let me run. Um, he was eBay's former CEO. And he certainly maybe valued my skill set as an entrepreneur, mm. overvalued it in a good way in terms of what StubHub might need. How about the people who worked for me? Was that your other question at mm-hmm. StubHub? Yeah. Like how do you, <laughs> I guess maybe a better way to ask the question is, um, like how do you as a leader show up try to figure out how you are somebody else's super boss like if, if everybody's looking for if everybody has different That's kind of parameters boss. of what that means to them how do you hit that target yeah well first of all i think if you want to be a super boss to someone else you have to know your own superpowers and you need to know your weaknesses so i i think i'm like i've had a lot of feedback drummed into me so i think as a super boss i think i um by the way I don't know if i'm a super boss for every type of person but i think that what i try and do as a super boss is a enable people to run. I feel like that's my job. Like, you know, if I'm the person holding you back, then, you know, from running, then maybe my, maybe I, I believe that, you know, when you give people room and opportunity, um, and then a framework to succeed, uh, that that's really important. So I try and inspire people to sort of take more risk to run, um, give them, I'm probably more of like, uh, as I say to people, I give them a lot of rope as opposed to wanting to micromanage. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think for most people, they find working with me maybe empowering and, and also challenging because I'm not always there, like maybe a super boss who's a coach, you know, I'm more there if you need me. Uh, and some people, like I said, I don't know if I'm a super boss for everybody candidly, because, you know, there will be people who say, well, Sukinder was the exact right boss for me. Think about that construct of like, who's right. got different skills to you and right. strengths. Um, you know, somebody who wants to run probably loves me, right? And who feels very confident. Somebody who may be less confident in their abilities, even if they have them and wants me to coach them all the time, may find me an inadequate boss, actually. Mm, yeah. So this is what I mean. Like you have to know what your own strengths and weaknesses, if that makes sense. So yeah. I guess what I would say to you is I think I'm a super boss in terms of inspiring people and, you know, helping them, you know, feel like they can take the hill. Um, And also that, you know, having been an entrepreneur, I have enough grit and resilience. If we have to make the hard calls, we're going to make them and just move. I'd like to think that maybe I've modeled imperfection for people, not perfection, but imperfection. Like I want to show up imperfectly. So, you know, you can be imperfect too. All I really care about is that we make progress. Um, And I don't even care how ugly it looks. We just like our job is to make progress happen. Um, And then, like I said, I'm not a super boss for everybody. So then I think what's really important is if you know that you don't have the skills to give everybody what they need, that you build a team around you Mm. that can get the best out of everyone. So I'm very grateful that I think at StubHub, we had a very diverse leadership team. 
And, you know, the people I want to surround myself with are people who have superpowers that are not my own. So the organization can get everything it needs. Um, Because it's hard for one person to give everything, everyone, everything they need when you're running a, you know, a several thousand person organization. Yeah, I I can imagine. I can imagine. So we've talked a lot about relationships today. And then on the other side of the coin, you're also obviously somebody that's extremely educated. You have a lot of experience in this field. Um, very extremely, you're extremely competent at the things that that, uh, that that you're really good at. So I'm curious to hear your answer to this question. It's the only question I've asked every guest ever come on the show. Who you know or what you know? Sukinder, which of those two do you view as being the more valuable asset in life? Who you know or what you know? Are people allowed to give you a hedge answer? Sure. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I'm going to I'm going to answer the question slightly differently. I think each our our own power and our own credibility as we move through life comes from two things. Number one, number one, what we know and keep learning. So it's not even what you know today. It's that the fact that you're you know you're a curious person who wants to keep knowing because I think people want to be around people who themselves like are always learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but the second part of our credibility and how we move through the world comes from you know I would say who we are even more than who we know. Because I think credibility comes from authentically showing up for other people as who you are and giving other people kind of the capacity and capability to do the same. So um, I really don't look at my life and say, gosh, it was who I knew or what I knew. I mostly wake up every day saying my job is to show up credibly and to keep learning, you know, and to, to keep trying to sort of, I think, authentically lead while I'm learning. And if I do those things, then maybe I can, to your point, create impact for others. Love it. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to give you another chance to talk a little bit about your book. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously throughout the, our entire conversation, taking risks has been part of your DNA, which is, I assume, you know, why you ended up writing the book, but, uh, but why now? Why, why, why write the book now? And what is it like the main thing that you want people to get from it? Well, it's interesting. I, um, I know your podcast does the same thing. So uh, let me try and kind of thread the needle. First of all, everybody tells us to take risks celebrate failure and have a growth mindset. But I think what people are struggling with is not the fact that those things are valuable, but how to do those things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so people like look back at my career and say like, oh my goodness, it's so successful, blah, blah, blah. I'm mostly like, well, that's the outside in view. Like what I'd like to do is show you the inside out view and maybe extract from it the lessons that I think are most um, repeatable that mm-hmm. anybody can use. And obviously the core lesson in the book is that like, if you're willing to look at risk-taking and choice-making as a skill, which to your point, it is about playing the longer game and continuing to choose. It's not about any single choice. It's the act of bringing your choices together that creates outsized returns, to your point. Batting averages, you know, all-star shooting points in the NBA, like yeah. trading percentages in a portfolio, almost any game you play in life, it is about the continuing to choose. It's about the portfolio of choices. It's never a single choice. So I guess I mostly just want to turn my own career inside out to try and extract the lessons around risk taking as a skill and a capacity that kind of anybody has. If you're willing yeah. to let go of this myth, to your point, it's one at bat. One at bat is a really scary way to live life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's like, you know, whenever anybody talks to me about entrepreneurship or, or starting a business or especially a freaking technology startup, because that's been a mm-hmm. whole brand new world for me. But any, anytime someone, you know, talks to me about that, I just like, I want to make sure that they know what they're getting themselves into. And that's one of the things that I, that I kind of talk about is just like, look, don't, don't start this if you're only going to give it six months. Mm-hmm. Don't start this if you're only going to give it three years. Mm-hmm. Like this is likely going to take a large chunk of your life. But 
I mean, it, it's all risk to reward, right? Because yeah. like yes. my, like I look at the big risks that I've taken uh, to this point in my, in, in my life and I measure them against the ultimate reward, which is for me being able to live a life that I choose to live, like having the options and, and being able to choose what I want to do, where I want to go, who I want to do those things with, like at what point, like I, I want that freedom and I want those options so much that it's, it's worth me taking risks that a lot of other people can't stomach. But I understand if that current risk that I'm taking is not something that's going to work out and give me those results. Mm-hmm. I know it's just going to be a couple risks away. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not even yeah. an option for me to like, just, okay, well, I'll just go back to doing something different if it doesn't work out. It's like a, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll figure something process. else out. And yeah, yeah, like, process. yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Like I love your phrase. I say a couple choices away, but you don't know how many or mm. a couple risks away, right? This yeah. way I have to commit to the process of just continuing to choose because you don't know how many things away it is. And you and I both know that you'll get the ultimate reward. It just may not unfold in the path with the precision in the right. time frame, in the way in which you think it will. Yeah. So that's why you just have to keep choosing your way through it. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about swinging a bat at a ball 500 times is that you're probably a little bit better at it on time 350 than you were on time three. Absolutely. You, know? so well, you like, become an expert choice maker or risk taker as we talk yeah. about, right? So you, your probabilities will increase. Absolutely. Yeah. They'll never be perfect, but your probabilities increase with practice. So I think it sounds like we're both in violent agreement that this, the idea of kind of committing to the path of risk taking is a multi kind of choice journey to get the reward. You'll still get it, but commit to the process. Got to have that strong why, right? Got to have that strong <laughs> motivator because it's going to challenge you along the way on some of those days where it sucks that you took the risk. And, I know. Uh, you see some of yeah, your friends that are like, didn't take the risk and they seem to be doing okay. And you're just like over there. Be- be- right, well, no, you're like, you're sort of like, uh, I took the risk. Oh, it didn't work out. Oh, wait, I need to take another risk. Yeah. All right. And we're not saying we're not making this sound very glamorous. It's a lot yeah. more fun when, you know, it's a lot more fun to describe it uh, yeah. or to do it in real life. But that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I, I like kind of what you said too, about finding people who remind you to be present a lot. And somebody on a podcast interview a couple hours ago was asking me um, stuff and I was mentioning gratitude. And, and that was one thing that I try to do to keep me grounded in the process, because if you can't find a way to be happy and fulfilled in the process, then, you know, do something different because yeah, like, yeah. It's very you, like you said, it's a you long know? journey. It's a tw- yeah. yeah. It's just a winding journey. Right. So I think yeah. the process itself has to be, has to be something that uh, gets you excited. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Or at least that you can find a level of fulfillment and happiness inside of is in the process itself and not just the destination. So, so, you know, this has been a lot of fun. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, Is there anywhere in like particular, a specific place that you want people to go pick up the book, like a website or something where you have other bonuses or like any, anywhere you find the book, pick it up. Well, you hit the bonus content. I mean, the, you can buy the book on Amazon, get it in audio, whatever you want to do. But on the website, there's something called the risk quiz, which okay. is really fun. It's just uh, two or three in a quiz you can take to figure out what your own risk archetype is. And that's a really cool way to start your own journey, I Great. think, with the book uh, and think about who you are uh, and what you want to be. Awesome. And what's the uh, URL for that website? Just choosepossibility.com and Perfect. backslash risk quiz, but you'll find it right on the header. Perfect. Choosepossibility.com. You guys know, anytime I recommend a book on the show, pick it up now so you don't forget. Just put it on your list. Uh, and uh, that way you don't look back in three years from now and wonder why you didn't ever pick up a copy of Choose Possibility. So uh, go, go uh, pick up a copy of Sikinder's book. I promise you will not regret that. Sikinder, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I had a blast chatting with you. Thank you so much.
That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.